2: Buffalo Rumbling Podcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. That's Nate Geary. And this is Food for Thought. Tonight's topic du jour, projections. <laughs> projections that you're doing when you kind of project your own insecurities on your friends and family. Not that kind of projection. Instead, Buffalo Bills projections. The far more healthy, I would say, of the projections. Mr. Geary, how you doing, dude? Good evening, Mr. Nolan. Um, I can't wait to tell you about the meal I just had. Well, you know what? Let's just dive in. Let's All right. In. The hors d'oeuvres for tonight on the topically appropriate food for thought, the best meal of your life. Hit me in the comments. Tell me what the best meal of your life was, while Nate serenades me with what he tells me is the best meal of his life that he just <sighs> Recency bias be darned he says. Best meal of his life just happened Nate hit me. Can you see how tired I look? Uh luckily I had
3: my guy give me a french press coffee in which I drank the whole thing just to give me enough energy to overcome the level of full that I am right now which is just a level of full that is just a level of satisfaction that I haven't I haven't quite I haven't quite felt in some time and or ever in my life. So uh, if you know anything about me, you know I'm a big um, – the restaurant in Buffalo here locally called Tutant. It's one of the greatest restaurants in Buffalo. Uh, it is a Cajun-style Louisiana take on fried chicken and everything else. Chef James Roberts, the owner of Tutant, also owns a little number down the street called Dubutsu. And it's a take on, like, fresh – catch fish right so lots of great seafood dishes i had lobster ramen oh. grilled lobster ramen and i don't like lobster really and it was the one of the best dishes i've ever had outside of like one of his dishes at tuton like his his nashville chicken at tuton's the best dish i've ever had this is the second best dish But they're both by the same chef, so it's technically allowed to say I'm I'm allowed to say it's the best uh, the best dish. But, uh, chef, like totally. So it's my girlfriend's birthday. Happy birthday, Liana. Um, She does not listen to our podcast, by the way. Um, This is not her cup of tea. Food for thought, which is fine. You know, she'd rather listen to, uh, she'd rather watch. You know, some some crazy show on whatever have you on, on on Netflix. That's fine. She can do her. While I get, she gets to take an hour away from dealing with me. Uh, Bruce, you get to babysit me. But I'm just gonna tell you that if you have not been to Dubutu Downtown on Seneca Street, 500 Seneca, it's one of the best dining experiences you'll ever have. They have one of the best selections of uh, of, of bourbon that I've ever come across. Um, overall, one of the best dining experiences I've ever had. There was three desserts. I will be sharing all of these photos later on on Twitter. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Nakiri Sports. So make sure you're following me because I'm going to post all these pictures. It was just one of the best experiences I've ever had. The lobster ramen.
2: Well, What's your take on lobster, Bruce? So I am going to skip over. I'm going to pass on the opportunity to talk about the best meal of my life. Okay. To tell you a story about lobster. And in my family, occasionally I will still be referred to as Lobster Boy because of <laughs> this particular story I'm going to tell you. So when I was much younger, we were having a celebratory dinner with my family and a large group of people. And we went out to this nice restaurant in Red the Locked. area that we were living at the time. And I was sitting far away from my father at the table. And I had never really been to a restaurant quite like this before because there was a section of the, of the menu that did not have prices on it. Instead, it just said market market price. Yes. right. So I was not familiar with this concept. So I lean over to my brother at the time and I say, hey, what does this mean? He goes, well, it's just the same as everything else. So when the waiter comes around, I ordered the lobster tail, not knowing how much the lobster tail was going to cost. So my uncle, who was sitting across from me, had a conversation and said, Hey, uh, did you order the lobster tail? I said, yeah. it said market price, but you know, my brother told me it was pretty much going to be the same as everything else. And he looked at me and he goes, "Oh no, no, no! That's that's not that's not what that's this not means. what I said. That's what that what means said. is a variable pricing." And I, I, I grabbed the waiter as he came by again. I said, oh, I, I, "I'm so sorry. What what did I just order?" He goes, "Well, this is Brazilian lobster tail. Oh. It was flown in this morning. It was flown in. We have." Two of them, and I said, "Oh no, oh no, 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 no! Something's gone horribly wrong. Something has gone horribly wrong." And I immediately tried to get my father's attention to tell him what I had dad, done. Sorry, because I was afraid he was going to get a fat bill and look at it and go, "What has my son done?" So I was desperately trying to get his attention. My father, of course, had already known what was going on and decided to troll me by saying, "You know what? No, no, it's fine. We can talk after the bill." I said, "No, no, dad. We got to talk now. We, talk we right cannot now. talk before the bill. We absolutely cannot." I had the lobster tail brought out to me, and it was, of course, an extremely extravagant presentation of this lobster tail. And I was sitting here going, I don't care what it costs me. I will eat every (laughs) single morsel of this lobster tail, lest anything be wasted. And my father, to this day, gets a great, a great bit of joy out of calling me Lobster Boy associated with that. In fact, he listens to this show. So he's probably listening right now going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Story. I remember. Yes. It was an ultimate Mr. Nolan troll that was laid out at the feet of Bruce Nolan. So now that we've gotten the hors d'oeuvres Sorry. out of the way, let's story. move on to the appetizers. The Bills roster overview is upon us. Yeah. because It's been set. And I think that there weren't a lot of surprises. There was a lot of pretty much same old, same old, what we had expected. You and I had outlined a couple different options for 53-man roster projections last Friday on Food for Thought. And a lot of them came true the way Mm -hmm. that we thought they were going to. A couple of them didn't. Nate, what was your biggest surprise now that the roster, the practice squad, and injured reserve have been set?
3: Daryl Johnson being traded. Did not see that coming. Um, I definitely felt that after I heard Brandon Bean talk that there was going to be a trade of some sort. I just did not imagine the guy being traded was Daryl Johnson. I almost thought Bam Johnson is probably the only guy that's maybe untouchable out, <laughs> out of that entire group. Uh, Just based on his ability in spe- on special teams, um, the rawness still in his game, I, I thought for sure Bam Johnson was, he was safe. Um, two tight ends and one of them being Tommy Sweeney, uh, did not have that in my, uh, in my food for thought predictions. Um, short of that, I think everything else was pretty kosher. I think we all knew Reggie Gilliam was going to find a way onto this 40, uh, this 53 man roster. I got to say the biggest surprise outside of Bam Johnson being traded has got to be that Jacob Hollister is still currently to this day, a street for agent has not been picked up on a practice squad. And they're just going. Just got with signed Tommy by the Sweeney. Jaguars, actually. Well, just got signed by the Jaguars. The, not the Bills practice squad. Yes, I should say. While you were there, um, I've got to say I'm surprised about Tommy Sweeney.
2: I'm surprised. I'm surprised a little bit about Tommy Sweeney too, because I feel like there was this strange groundswell of support for tommy sweeney not just because he has a luscious and magnificent brandon
3: mustache, riley level fan yes support. Yeah. but
2: also because if there was if you remember correctly there was a certain amount of time that occurred at the beginning of tommy sweeney's rookie year where he was the only real healthy tight end on the roster yeah and That's he right. got a ton of reps in a preseason game and the Bills were like, yeah, you know, we're we're happy with what the projection and the Tommy Sweeney hype train sort of took off. Then the myocarditis kicked in and he missed the year because of this. And then he comes in, he hurts his foot. He ends up being a walking boot. We thought, no way. There just isn't enough statistically significant sample size for Tommy Sweeney to make this team. I think Jacob Hollister, I had Jacob Hollister being cut, but remember I had him being cut to wait in the parking lot and come back. Right, right. He waited in the parking lot. No the one ever came lot. for him. He's still, he's still in, still the, in parking the parking lot, lot. Yeah. in the rain, with sad music playing in the background, waiting for Brandon Bean. Sad to trombone. Show up.
3: Yeah, sad, sad trombone. trombone.
2: Somewhere he's looking out the window, waiting for Brandon Bean to roll down his driveway in a car and come out with a trench coat, holding a boombox above his head, saying, "Come on, come on down. We've got another contract for you." And that isn't what happened. I think that clearly is the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. I obviously picked Josh Thomas over Demar Hamlin to be the fourth safety spot, but that could have gone either way. So just because that got flipped, wasn't overly shocked by that. By it went,
3: it went in the direction, by the way, of Jay Skirsky and myself, who had Demar Hamlin on the three-man roster. Um, I don't want to say that Jay and I are superior
2: men, but here we are. I mean, you really don't have to. Really, (laughs) I mean, it just kind of comes with the territory. In the comments, we have. Brian freedom with the take says Taiwan Jones will see the field more than Matt Breida. Okay. So I don't actually hate this take and I'll tell you why it's bad. take. Taiwan Jones, I think will be active on every single game day. And I don't necessarily know that Matt Breida will be. So I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a terrible take because if you look at the five players that you think need to be inactive every single week, assuming they dress the amount of offensive linemen they need to, to be able to make that number five, you look at five and you go, okay, maybe a safety, maybe a defensive tackle, probably a running back, and it's not going to be Taiwan Jones because he plays on special teams, so maybe Matt Breida there, and maybe a tight end, or Reggie Gilliam, depending on packages, and Tommy Doyle. So for me, I don't think this is the crazy take, having Taiwan Jones seeing the field more than Matt Breida. I got a hot take. I'm ready. I would argue
3: that one of the other two running backs, Singletary or Moss, oh. end up inactive more times than Maparita is. Wow. You know, I feel like we should make
2: a bet on that. I feel like I'm we comfortable should make a bet on that. this. I'm comfortable okay. with that. Okay. All right. We're going to make a bet. We'll, we'll think about it. We'll mull it around. We're going to come back. We'll make a bet. We'll come back. And we'll do it. It'll be it'll be fantastic. Dead Level Best says, At the beginning of camp, would you have been surprised to see Kumaro make the 53? Yes at the beginning, at the beginning, of, camp, beginning yes. of camp? Yeah. You? I'm trying to remember
3: how I felt at the beginning of camp. Yeah, probably surprised. Um I did get the sense that after last year, after how the end of the year went, they went out and they got they got Kumaro back off of uh New Orleans practice squad. I felt all along that there was there was a level of they really liked Kumaro, and then Kumaro had the camp he had. And I think it made a no-brainer for them. So if you were asking me how I felt on day one of training camp, if you told me the first day of training camp, Kumro would make the 53-man roster and I'd be surprised by it, yeah, I'd probably say that. But I what like a week in, Bruce, like a week in, I think it was pretty obvious that this guy was going to be pushing for the 53-man roster over Isaiah Hodgins, who I think everyone was sort of fixated on as the guy that will be the sixth receiver and I think we our, our set was thrown off quite a bit. Almost as soon as that first week was over, it was very clear Jay Kumaro was the sixth best receiver on this team. And arguably, you could talk about role and where he potentially fits, and you can make the argument he might be this team's number five receiver. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I would say if I were to rewind and remember where I was the first day of training camp and who I believed would be this team's number six wide receiver, I would have told you all day, every day, it's Isaiah Hodgins. They spent a draft pick on him. This team likes to keep guys around that they've spent draft picks on. Even, even then, they could not ignore the training camp that Jay Kumaro had. Um, and you ask anybody that covers the team that is at tr- that's at that's training camp practice, Matt Perino, Sal Capaccio. Um, we, two weeks ago, we had on Jay Skirsky, the Buffalo News. Um, each and every one of them kept saying the name Jay Kumaro. And I think ultimately the guy that kept showing out at practice each and every day um, was creating that rapport with Josh Allen won the job. I, I am not surprised today, uh, but I, I probably would have been surprised after day one
0: of training camp. Yeah.
2: One of the things that I think is an interesting thing to take away from the Kumaro, Isaiah Hodgins thing is simply how significant the gap is between spring practices for a wide receiver and training camp for a wide receiver. Because we've seen this before. And if you look across the NFL and if you follow other beat reporters, you will see this as a trend. There are plenty of wide receivers across the NFL who are able to make splashes in spring practices and don't have that never carry it over, never carry over. It does not translate over into training camp. And a lot of that's because of contact. They can't get off the line. And a lot of that, obviously, the ghosts of Des Lewis still hang deep over me when Desmond Lewis was going to be a player who was lighting it up in spring practices. The Rick Rogers simply couldn't get off off press. It was a big part of making that transition from spring practices to training camp, and it simply didn't happen. Nate, do you have a player you wish would have stuck around? Because I do. Obviously, the obvious answer is Jacob Hollister. Jacob Hollister is obviously a person that I wish would have stuck around. The biggest thing for me, that as far as I wish they would have stuck around is Cam Lewis and not necessarily because I think Cam Lewis is a, a special or unique talent and he is on the practice squad. I don't like having five corners on the roster. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. If you go, if you go four wide, you have one player margin for error, one for an injury. How many times have we seen, this, this regime dress four or five corners in a game, have one of them get banged up. And all of a sudden, Micah Hyde's playing the slot. It's just an active decision that they make game in and game out. That just, it just cuts a little bit close for me. It's a little bit risky. So not because I think Cam Lewis is a transcendent talent. I simply don't like carrying five corners. It broke my heart to project it. And I was hoping I was going to be wrong. And unfortunately, I wasn't. Nate, do you have a player you wish would have stuck around?
3: Yeah, I think I've got one and I'm going to stick at the position, but I'm not going to say the same guy. Um, I'm going to say Nick McLeod, Uh, Nick McLeod, as you might, if you guys might tell, um, I'm a Notre Dame fighting Irish fan. Uh, Nick McLeod at the university of Notre Dame was a solid, but not spectacular type of player. Um, I thought he earned reps with the second team in training camp Um, from everything we heard. We heard veteran players talking about Nick McLeod in the first two weeks of training camp, which is not a thing that you do about rookies that are more than likely going to be practice squad level players. They cut him. He's the only player that was picked up off waivers on this team um, that is now on an active roster. That's Nick McLeod over at Cincinnati. I think if I'm if I'm saying one player, it's Nick McLeod.
2: I was not expecting that. I know Nick McLeod is somebody who frequently showed up in the observations of beat reporters who were there, the aforementioned Matt Perino, Sal Cabaccio, and so on and so forth. But I think we can both agree that cornerback is a a part of this team that, you know, wishes it had more depth. But looking around the league, I don't know if you've took a peek at all at the Arizona Cardinals depth chart. It's bad. It is not great. Bob. It's bad. So you know what? It could be worse. Levi Wallace is an upgradable starter, but he's also a serviceable starter. Yeah. I think Taron Johnson is an upgradable nickel corner, but he's completely serviceable. When you look at the Arizona Cardinals, you think to yourself, okay, they put their money this offseason into acquiring J.J. Watt and A.J. Green, and those corners are, are not looking like they might be able to cover someone. Kyler Murray might need to be an MVP caliber player Mm -hmm. in order for the Cardinals to have an above 500 season just due to the fact that they might not be able to cover anybody. Moving along, this is something that you and I wanted to talk about a couple weeks ago, and we just never got there. And that is Devin Singletary, RB1. So aside from the whole Devin Singletary picture of him at the gym, flexing, looking jack as all get out, making its way around the viral interwebs. Aside from that, Devin Singletary had a really good preseason. Multiple people were overly impressed with the way he played this preseason. When you consider the fact that Zach Moss found himself again hampered by a different injury, this time a hamstring, although he did show out pretty well against the Bears, although he had a few of his bigger runs called back, Devin Singletary is listed as the starting running back. But he as certainly far as carries go, we're going to get into this a little bit with Evan Silva. I got into this a little bit on the Bruce exclusive this past week with Greg Thompson. Devin Singletary is going as an average da- draft position in fantasy. He's going behind Zach Moss. People he are is. taking Zach Moss first. People in the NFL community think Zach Moss is the dude. But Devin Singletary is listed as the dude. We, we all know that workhorses aren't part of the DNA. For the Buffalo Bills. We know this. No. Not part of the DMA. But could it be approaching 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of stuff for Devin Singletary this year? Nate, what do you think? Is he RB1? Yeah,
3: I'm excited to get Evan Silva on here to talk a little bit more about this because I have found that Zach Moss is almost universally propped up more than anyone else in this backfield. He's almost universally the darling of everyone that talks fantasy football. Um, I think it's Devin Singletary. I think he showed out. I think he outplayed Zach Moss during training camp and in the preseason action, the limited preseason action. Um, I think anytime you're in the facility for this organization and you show out during the summer and you're a guy that's in the weight room at the facility doing things in the offseason that make coaches notice, there's something about that, that that stands out to this coaching staff and they reward those sorts of things. So for me, I think Devin Singletary is the guy that listen, at the end of the day, we could be talking about semantics here, Bruce. We could be talking about a guy that ends up essentially getting 40% of the workload. I think Zach Moss, you're looking at 35, 40% of the workload. And, and, and I do believe Matt Breida has a role in all of this. Um, The reason is, is he's the only back in this backfield that offers some sort of varied set, skilled set. Um, this is a guy that has that top end speed, can can produce in the passing game. Which I think it, both of these guys. Maybe Zach Moss is the guy in the passing game that that brings a little bit more um, than Devin Singletary. But I, I've got to say, Bruce, I was I I've been underwhelmed by Zach Moss almost almost since the day he's walked in the door. I I guess I don't really see the hype that everybody keeps pumping home. I just I, I wonder, haven't seen it.
2: I really wonder if the hype. Is analytically based from the fact that Zach Moss got infinitely more goal line touches, and they're thinking, okay, let's put this together. So if Zach I... Moss got more goal line touches, and they right. just gave Josh Allen a ha- quarter of a billion dollars, who's gonna get that touchdown upside? And that's gonna be Zach Moss. When you combine that with the fact that his ADP is you know ninth, tenth round in a lot of leagues, that's a that's a, an opportunity for upside. And so I wonder if it's not really about skill set. If it's not really about the fact that he's special in any sort of way, it's simply about opportunity and it's about scoring opportunity specifically with the idea that maybe the bills aren't going to run Josh Allen as much this year. I'll level with you. I think they are. I think the bills are going to do all the same things with Josh Allen this year than they did with last year. I really don't think that the fact that he just signed a $258 million contract is going to change what the bills do with Josh Allen. It's part of what makes him difficult to defend, it's part of what makes him a dynamic player. I don't think you're going to see Josh Allen all of a sudden morph into a guy who's going to slide short of the first down on third down. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think the coaches are going to tell him that. They have consistently talked about making sure that Josh Allen is being himself. Yeah. And he's being the type of player that got him MVP votes. So moving along, we have a mailbag. We have a mailbag question from Trevor, and Trevor sent me an email. He said, good afternoon, Mr. Nolan. I hope your summer days are going well, and you're enjoying all the camp news headed up to the 2021 regular season. I've had this question for some time, but I've pushed off asking for whatever reason, and now it's out of season, but I can't seem to shake it anyway. At what point do we as an organization, in terms of draft picks, start to draft players that are more of a sure thing than drafting projects with insanely high upsides, but that will require a lot of development. I know our aggressive drafts and developed draft style has led us to arguably the biggest draft shock ever in Josh Allen, but I can't help but wonder if the team will need to shift its mentality going forward with Allen's massive contract. Taking three years to develop guys we have for four years starts to sound concerning when we absolutely need to hit on rookie contracts that give us cheap, high-quality labor for as long as they can. Drafting the sure thing might not give us a Josh Allen, but maybe it gets us a more starter-ready talent for a longer time of their contract. I apologize for the length of timing of this question since we're nowhere near draft time, but I appreciate you reading this, and as always, go Bills. So, the first thing is I think that this is a valuable question because the Bills do have a type. With Tremaine Edmonds, with Al Oliver with Josh Allen, with Gregory Rousseau, These are toolsy players that understandably need some time to develop. The thing that I will say is that the sure thing doesn't exist. Yeah, no, this is the NFL.
3: There is no such thing as the sure thing.
2: So for me, when you see a player and they say, oh, it's a sure thing, usually that it correlates with someone who doesn't have a high ceiling. You see this a lot of time with backup quarterbacks and you say, oh, well, his ceiling is a backup. Oh, his ceiling is a backup. Okay. So, what you're saying there is he doesn't have starter level traits. Yeah. His ceiling is a backup. Okay. So, he's immobile, doesn't have a strong arm, but he's super smart. That's what you mean. I mean, it's just, it's almost insulting when you say things like that. Oh, well, you know, he's the first one in, last one out. Gym rat coaches love him. You know, he's basically a coach on the field, Nate. You know, he could be a game manager. What they're saying is you don't have tools. That's what they're saying. You don't have tools and tools give you options so for me i'm of the opinion that they're going to keep swinging at the fences and you know what that's completely okay if they keep swinging at the fences for me that's completely fine i am completely good with that now take the ceiling players damn it take take the ceiling take the high ceiling players speaking of high ceiling we have a high ceiling guest with us right now he is part of establishtherun.com. Evan Silva is here with us on Food for Thought and he's, you know, going to talk to us a little bit about the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, some projections. Evan, how you doing, man?
1: Hey, how's it going? I don't know what is up with my cam right now. It's not working well. But Hey, you know what? You look fantastic, man. You
2: look <laughs> a lot better than me. My logo is it's all messed up. I got some flexed on it. I need to go to all the right. the laundromat, have it cleaned, make it nice and shiny for everybody. But, Evan, thanks so much for being a part of this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. One of the things we were talking about, though, I just want to just immediately start off by getting your opinion on is this Singletary and Moss thing. Yeah. Why is it that Zach Moss has a higher ADP than Devin Singletary? Why is he getting drafted earlier in general consensus across the NFL? Is it because he's a new shiny toy? Is it because he was banged up a little bit last year? Is it because the goal line carries? Is there something about skill set? Why do you start to see Zach Moss getting drafted ahead of Devin Singletary?
1: I I can't explain it. Um, well, I, I think that it stems from last year. I think that there was a sentiment. If you go back and beat read the beat read the beat writers, and you know you kind of use some in, in, intuition that you know Zach Moss, the way that he's built, the way that he runs. and and, you know that he was you know billed as as being like a, a bigger back that could catch passes that he was built to be uh maybe the lead back the coaching staff wanted him to assert himself as the lead back and whereas Devin singletary you know he's like i don't even know if he's 200 pounds um you know he's smaller and he would fit better as the change of pace back and you know he didn't have the greatest camp last year now and I think that when they were when they were both healthy last year, um, I think that the coaching staff did side a little bit with Zach Moss. But I mean, the the, the gears have changed, uh, especially over the past two weeks. The rhetoric coming from the coaching staff, coming from the beat writers, watching the players play in the preseason. I, I mean, it, it looks like to me like Devin Singletary is the clear lead back in the third fi- and final preseason game. Josh Allen played what 33 snaps Devin Singletary got the whole whole first quarter with the ones that's right so I I don't I guess people just aren't paying attention you know maybe they bought the the magazine uh you know at the start of camp and you know which which can't uh, account for any of the changes they're bringing that to their draft like they're doing it wrong uh Devin Singletary looks like the lead back to me
3: Evan, what do you make of their decision to bring in, I think, an actual true change of pace back in Matt Breida? who yeah. brings a a skill set that I know Brandon Bean talked about, which is a guy that can take the top off a of defense, can mm-hmm. can be your home run threat. Are you buying – And essentially, we started this podcast talking, okay, this team is keeping four running backs – Five if you count Reggie Gilliam as the fullback, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. But he's sort of the X factor. He's going to play tight end. He's going to play H-back. He's going to play a lot of positions. What do you make of how you figure out a way to essentially keep four running backs in today's NFL knowing you've got to sit five guys in the 53? Is Matt Breida going to poach carries or are you of the mind that each and every week it's a hierarchy of Singletary Moss, whatever combination you want to go with there. Mm-hmm. And then Matt Breida is not really taking those carries, but is a guy that might complementary have four to five touches a game manufactured for him.
1: Um, I think that they're going for explosiveness. They're going for explosive runs, you know, and Matt Breida has always been, I mean, like you look at like the, the spark testing when, when he came out of college, he wasn't drafted. I don't believe but he was, like, at the top of the spark ratings. Um, he is, like – you know, he's – he when when he can get the ball in space, he can be electrifying. And Devin Singletary is, like, you know, a quick darting back. And, and Zach Moss has moved to – he's more of a grinder, and he's moved toward the back of, of the depth chart. So, I, I – and I think that, yeah, Matt Breed is going to be that change of pace. Carrying that many running backs is – um you know, it's, it's a lot, but it, none of these guys have shown the capability of being like a 25 touch per game, yeah. uh, workhorse. So they're going to carry more guys just in case, you know, someone goes down and they're, they're also a team that realizes, you know, I mean, what did they give Matt Breed? I mean, it, it wasn't much above the minimum. Yeah. Um, you know, Singletary was a, what like a third rounder. Um, Zach Moss was a third rounder. You know, they, they haven't invested a lot in the running back position. I think that's smart, especially considering the way that they're going to play because they're going to throw the shit out of the ball. Okay. (laughs) You know, I mean, like I I heard at the start of camp and they were what number one in in, uh, situation neutral pass rate across the entire NFL last year. I heard at the start of camp that they were going to throw the ball more this year. And I mean, it looks like they are. I mean, because Josh Allen, you know, when he was out there with the ones, first the first eighteen snaps he threw the ball on or dropped back to pass on seventeen of them. Yeah, you know so, um, and and all the guys are, are you know at least competent pass catchers. All all the RBs are competent pass catchers. You know there's no stone handed uh, RBs with with any of these guys. So they they fit you know and they're just all going to work in tandem. I, I think it's fine. If the Bills
2: really are going to throw the crap out of the ball. Which we all kind of want them to do. When you have a quarter of a billion dollar quarterback, you kind of want to make sure that he gets out there and loosens up his arm a little bit, a little bit like the way that the Play 60 kid did and took Cam Newton's job. Of course, now we know that Play 60 kid is actually grew up Mac Jones. Mac Jones, yeah. yeah. So that that of course is a you know <laughs> crazy spoiler. Like I didn't know that M Night Shyamalan was actually the director of the Play 60 commercial. How about that twist? <laughs> so if the Bills really are going to throw the crap out of the ball then there are two passing targets that Josh Allen has who pretty much have Mm -hmm. their roles set. Stephon Diggs is the number one, is the alpha, is going to lead the team in targets. And then Cole Beasley is the starting slot receiver. But there is some (sighs) consternation a little bit around the wide receiver two spot and the wide receiver Mm -hmm. four spot because you have two Mm -hmm. players who can play on the outside in Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis who kind of are jockeying for position here. Gabriel Davis was a hot name as potentially, potentially being a a dynasty keeper and a hold player mm-hmm. after John Brown got cut. And they thought, OK, mm-hmm. Gabriel Davis, who the analytics community was a big fan of this particular l- last year, is slotted into a number two receiver role in an offense that's going to throw the ball a bajillion times. But then all of a sudden, Emmanuel Sanders comes in. And Emmanuel Sanders, who has had his production a little bit neutered over the last couple of years by getting thrown to by some less than stellar quarterback play. So because of that and because of the fact that Brandon Bean has been after Emmanuel Sanders for years, now all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, maybe he's slotted in a wide receiver too. But then Gabriel Davis comes out and has a really good preseason and you're like, I don't know what to make sense of this. Is it really as simple as vet going out and John Brown vet coming in? Emmanuel Sanders and then Gabriel Davis is going to be wide receiver four, but the bills are going to run the second most 10 personnel in the Mm -hmm. league next to the Mm -hmm. Arizona Cardinals. It's going to be okay. Or can I really find room for Gabriel Davis in a year long fantasy league and be okay with that? If he's Mm -hmm. wide receiver four for the bills?
1: no i I think you're going to need um you know someone to go down ahead of them and 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 it could be it could be gabriel day or uh uh, cole beasley i mean you know not being vaccinated i mean you know that that could come into play the bills i'm sure are are very very aware of that you know Um, stefan diggs was healthy uh about as healthy as you could get last year but he had a history of soft tissue injuries in minnesota emmanuel sanders i mean what is he 35 now you know, he tore his Achilles a couple years ago. He should be back near 100% or at least, you know, as 100% as any 35-year-old in the NFL could get um, at this point. I think he was a rock-solid pickup for them. Apparently he's had a, a really strong camp. Uh, but, he, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's well into his 30s. So, you know, I think that uh, you, you need four good ones. I mean, especially with how they're going to play. But I, but I do think that, you know, Gabriel Davis in this third, in this fourth receiver spot, technically, is probably not going to get enough snaps to be a reliable fantasy contributor, unless he just scores a boatload of touchdowns, yeah. uh, which he could, because he does have the best size and red zone profile um, among the um, among the top four, and they don't really have, you know, a big time receiving tight end. I know that. You know there's some been some buzz around dawson knox but he's really never been a a, pro, a producer you know passing game producer you even go back to his college career he had 18 career catches and zero touchdowns so um you know i i, I they need all four and, and at some point i do think gabriel davis is going to be a fantasy factor but going into the season i mean he like i do a top 150 he's not in the top 150. he's he's like in the top 175 though but he's not in the top 150.
3: Joining us here on our Thrive Fantasy uh, guest hotline, Evan Silva of Establish the Run. And Evan, I want to ask you, because here's what the cool kids have to say about this Bills offense. Regression, regression, regression. It's the word I keep hearing about this Bills offense, in particular Mm -hmm. about Josh Allen. If you're a believer that this offense is in line for some Level of regression. What does that regression look like? Or are you not buying that? Are you not taking that pill? You're taking the other pill that maybe Emmanuel Sanders makes this offense a little bit more dynamic. Maybe this is an offense that sees more zone coverage, has more experience beating zone coverage, and they're going to be a team that really, from a defensive coordinator, from a defensive game plan perspective, becomes that much more difficult to defend. Like, where do you stand on this whole regression argument based around this Bills offense?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm not buying it. Uh, so, you know, and I think that that's, you know, that the analytical approach would be to, yeah, expect regression. Oh, you know, uh, Josh Allen played above his head last year, you know. Um, but I, I think that if you if you zoom out and you look at the continuity that the Bills have maintained – be it from, you know, Brian Dayball, who the NFL screwed up, allowing, yeah, you know, the rest of the NFL screwed up, allowing him to stay in offensive coordinator ranks. Like, they messed that up. I know that because he was in the playoffs, it was harder to do the interview thing with him, but you can still make it happen, and they didn't. And Evan, got, Joe Judge
3: is is a. I was head coach. just, gonna, Vic, say Vic I was head just coach. gonna say that. Big fanjo is is head coach. You know, it's it's wild. You, you,
1: yeah. exactly you you t- you stole the, r- the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I was gonna be like, you know, this is a league with Joe Judge as the head yeah. as a head coach, and Brian Daybull is not. But I mean, it sounds like Daybull's they don't care too much. Eventually, he's gonna want to yeah. become an NFL head coach. But uh, it, it, he I think he's excited to run it back. It sounds like he's excited to run it back with Josh Allen. And Josh Allen has just. He's improved every year that he got in the NFL since he became since he entered the nfl um again they're bringing back everybody you know and, and continuity and knowing you know where your your buddy is going to be and being on the same page and i mean that counts for a lot and this team you know with with very little practice time due to the pandemic entering the season they came out like gangbusters and. You know, they they kind of went through that little dip around midseason, but they came out of it and they finished strong. And, um, you know, and now they now they get the full offseason and the full training camp. And, you know, the only guy really that 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 is moved that moved on was John Brown and they replaced him with another savvy veteran. Like, I, I don't think they're regressing. I think they're going to I think they're going to crush it this year.
2: A lot of people might have thought, like you said, that Josh Allen played over his head in 2020. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you one person who probably didn't think that, and that was you. Yes. Because you were one of the original Josh Allen for MVP people in the offseason leading up to the 2020 NFL season. You were like, hey guys, let's let's grab a ticket here. And let's be honest, if Aaron Rodgers hadn't played out of his ever-living mind and had a historic season, there's a very reasonable chance that the reigning National Football League, most valuable player, looks really good in shorts and plays his football (laughs) in Orchard Park, New York. So knowing full well that he may have played over their heads, but didn't play over your head, talk to me through a a little bit about this. Because you were one of the people who was initially pounding the drum for, hey, the things are setting up well for Josh Allen to have a huge season last year. So you were all yeah. in on that at the very beginning of last year. You were all in saying, hey, I'm hashtag Bills Mafia this year. We're going to yeah. get on this Josh Allen MVP train. First off, tell me what that was like being so far removed People thought I was from an idiot. a lot of that.
1: People thought I was an idiot. Like, you know, a, a lot of my friends thought I was an idiot. Like, what are you even talking about? You know, Josh Allen sucks. Uh, but I, I think that what they failed to consider was that how, how analytically sound it was, that the the bills uh, organization you know they they were they acknowledged that josh allen had this problem with the deep ball uh he was the worst deep ball passer in 2019 and what did they do they went and traded for the number one deep ball receiver in the league it doesn't get more analytical than this and i mean i, I had a you know big back and forth with my buddies at pff eric eager and um george charuri about this and I mean, they, they, I couldn't get them to come to my side. And we, and we really had like banter all throughout the season. I had like a, a, a DM thread with them and uh, Josh Hermesmeyer and Kevin Cole and uh, PFF Moo. And, you know, they they weren't buying it. Like they weren't buying it early in the season. And eventually they, I mean, they had, you know they had to come around, you know, it took them about 12 weeks, <laughs> but, uh, but they, they finally came around and um, I think some of them are anticipating regression ending in this year, but that move that, you know, it was pricey. It was pricey to go get Stephon Diggs contractually mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, draft picks, uh, but it was so analytically sound because of the deep ball issue, and that's what you needed to get to maximize Josh Allen because of his, um, you know, his strength, his powerful arm. And you have to be able to maximize that. And, and you have to be able to, like, get a guy that can just go get the ball, you know. Go get it. You know, if, if Josh Allen doesn't place it place it perfectly, go get it. And then eventually Josh Allen, like, builds trust in that guy. And Josh Allen build, builds trust in himself that when he does drop back to pass and un- unleash a, a deep ball, like, he's going to hit it. Because I think that in his previous two years, he didn't always, if you watch him play – he didn't always feel comfortable in where the ball was going to go, but I think that last year with Stephon Diggs and with and with John Brown to some extent, and John Brown was in and out of the lineup. But you know, if you look at the splits of the Bills' offense when John Brown was in there, when he wasn't out there, like they were a little better, a little bit better when he was in there. And then you, and then you you compound that with Cole Beasley really becoming one of the best slot receivers in the league, and the um, you know just the very progressive, advanced offensive system that Brian Dable, I mean, Brian Dable built this around Josh Allen. You go back to even, like, in college, they didn't build the offense around Josh Allen. They they built the offense at Wyoming around Brian Hill. Brian Hill, uh, you know, who's in the NFL, um, and he's a backup somewhere right now, Uh, but, you know, he came in with Atlanta, and I think he's in Tennessee right now. But, I mean, he was getting at Wyoming. He was getting, you know, 300-plus carries, and Josh Allen was like almost like a game manager. Yeah, there, you know, and and, and so, but finally, like Brian, Brian Dable builds the offense around Josh Allen. Just everything came together, you know. And they were a team that had a lot of continuity going into last year, where you know teams didn't get practice time. There were no preseason games. There were no OTAs. Nothing, you know. And and that continuity. It's just everything went right. And I think that everything is still going right, so I don't I, I don't see the regression. Um, and I, you know, again, I'm not I'm not betting the Josh Allen MVP this year because you know the the odds just aren't aren't that great, um, you know. But it, it was nice to have him at 50 and 60 to one last year.
3: Yeah, you'd feel pretty good. Uh, yeah. By like week 15, 16, you're like I might clean up here a little bit. Yeah, um right? Evan, before I let you go, I've got to ask you, you, you sort of alluded to the success without the reps, right? And mm-hmm. and and watching this team have the success, particularly the chemistry between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, it almost felt mm-hmm. a can was popped open mm-hmm. and that chemistry was just, it was oozing. It was very visible from the first game of the season until, until the playoffs, until you saw what a hampered, injured Stephon Diggs in that Kansas City game mm-hmm. does to this, this offense is ceiling. I'll ask you this with the idea that it would be hard to top Stefan Diggs core statistics from last year, mm-hmm. but do you believe that there's a level of hashtag just scratching the surface with the chemistry between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and adding Emmanuel Sanders? Mm-hmm. I, I I think it's a safe bet to say that that equals some sort of volume shift somewhere in this offense to maybe being some more volume uh, to Emmanuel Sanders. But I gotta think that that volume isn't coming from Stefan Diggs's workload. Right. And And would you bet that maybe there's. Not quite the ceiling that we saw between the chemistry and Josh and Stephon Diggs. Is there more there essentially with those two heading into the season, even though yeah. I don't know how much more. You're asking up, for a there's lot an 18th in week. Eight. There's an 18th week now. That's true. Saying, That's true. Just saying.
1: I mean, he did lead the NFL in receptions and receiving yards. So I don't know. He could score more touchdowns. Uh I think that, you know, just from a team standpoint, what I think you're looking for is can the defense be a little, I, I mean, the, you know, the defense had kind of carried them for a couple of years there. And, uh, you know, um, they they didn't really have a pass rush last year. Um, you know, they still got some questions in the secondary. Um, you know, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano put together, you know, full seasons of health. And can Tremaine Edmonds become the super, superstar that he has the potential to be? I think that that's what we're looking for if we can make, you know, to make the team better, I think that if they produce offensively as well as they did last year, you know, maybe they avo- avoid that midseason lull that they had and, you know, things are. Um,
3: that's yeah. where, by the way, Evan, yeah. that's where I see them. If there's going to be more volume statistics, yeah. They had a they had that week against the Jets where they had six field goals and no touchdowns. Yeah, right, they right, have right. that game against the Patriots where they score seven points offensively and really just did not have the answers against Bill Belichick in that game. Mm-hmm. Like there was a two to three week stretch where they scored one touchdown, and this is an offense that right. broke franchise records. So, like if they get rid of that lull, maybe this is where we find that volume, right?
1: Yeah. 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 If they can, if they're a little bit more consistent over the course of the season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at the defense and, you know, with Gregory Russo and, um, you know, uh, uh, with the, uh, the other rookie that they got, um, can they, can they, uh, produce some pass rush and, and can those linebackers stay healthy and take the next step? And, and then I think they'll become a more complete team.
2: Evan, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, man, man. I really, I, re- I really, really appreciate yeah. it. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and what you're up to at Establish the Run?
1: Yes, if you're a serious fantasy player, um, come check us out. If you're into sports betting, betting props, we're gonna absolutely crush in the, the prop market this year, and we're gonna have a ton out each week. We uh, Adam Levitan already has like 60 season long props uh, to bet, and we'll have a ton for Week One. We're already looking at the the Dallas Tampa Bay game, and we're gonna post some of those. Because uh, those just came out on DraftKings, uh, so but if you're if you're if you're looking to win some money, come check us out at Establish the, Run, establish the And our,
3: by the way, Bruce, our man Michael Leone, uh, who yes. is their director of analytics. Big Buffalo Bills guy here locally yep. in Buffalo. If if Buffalo people don't have a reason uh, another
1: reformed Josh Allen skeptic. Yes, yes he
3: is. Thank you for reminding me, Evan. How can I forget my man Michael Leon, who is in my mentions far too much uh, on the other side of the fence? No, but seriously, Evan, uh we we I mean, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Thank you so much for making time for us here at Food for Thought. Um, this was an enlightening experience. We really appreciate the fact you made some time on your Friday night for us, man.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks guys. Go bills. Appreciate
3: it. Go bills.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash
2: talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And that was Evan Silva from Establish the Run on the Thrive Fantasy hotline here on Food for Thought. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $140,000 guaranteed in prizes for NFL Week 1 and has awarded over $4 million so far. Thrive's featured $100,000 guaranteed contest is $20 to enter and first place takes home $20,000. Use promo code BUFFBILLS when you sign up today and you will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to Hard to beat $100. that. Hard to beat that, by the way. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Listen, I
3: rarely... Listen, uh, obviously Thrive Fantasy is a new sponsor of the show. I've got to say this, Bruce. I walked through the platform last week. I put in $100 in the platform. They matched my $100, meaning I now have $200 to place in prop bets. If you like DFS... If you're a daily fantasy guy, or gal, I am that. I said this and I was not kidding when I was talking to him, I'm a slut for prop bets. I love prop bets. If you are a prop better, if you like to bet on whether they're not whether or not a running back hits over 100 yards, under 100 yards, and you like daily fantasy, this is the perfect mashup of prop prop bets and daily fantasy together. It is a A platform on Daily Fantasy unlike any I've seen. The only reason I brought them on as a sponsor here is because I believe that they're kind of the next phase of DFS, Daily Fantasy Sports, as the NFL continues to add and layer on, um, you know, the fantasy and the betting world into one one sort of uh, overarching world here in the NFL. It's where the revenue is going to start to be generated for salary caps to go up. It's betting. I'm just telling you, go take a look, Thrive Fantasy, go to thrive.com, thrivefantasy.com, go check out their platform, at least check it out, you don't have to, you don't have to put money into it, but at least go check it out, especially if you're a big DFS guy or gal, um, it's worth a check out, I was blown away um, when I saw the platform, so go, go check it out, they're up and coming, um, and there's a lot of money to be made.
2: Maybe you and I can have some fun contests with each other and also with our listeners. I'd this be into that. Year, I'd like
3: la- I would like anyone in this comment section to think that they're better at daily fantasy than me, much less prop betting. So, if anyone in here thinks that they're going to beat you and I head to head, that's fine. But you're not going to beat me head to head in any sort of fantasy situation, except if you're in our dynasty league and maybe <laughs> your you might
2: beat Maybe I might beat you in dynasty. <sighs> I also think I'm going to beat you in the bet in regards to who is going to be inactive more Matt Breida or the combo of Devin Singletary and Zion. I Walsh. did
3: see, by the way, someone in the comment section did make a comment about what a good stake would be and not ST. T-E-A-K, but S-T-A-K-E. And in that steak, I saw somebody say, somebody gets a lobster dinner, Eh, who the winner, the loser has to buy the winner a lobster dinner. And listen, Bruce, you know, anytime I get you in Buffalo, uh, I'm happy about that. So I would love nothing more to get you to Buffalo and buy me a lobster.
2: Consider this a digital handshake whichever at the end of the year, digital handshake, you can't see me. You're just going to have to trust that I'm doing it at this point and not having my fingers crossed behind my back like an adolescent, but also because, you know, this is a fairly cut and dry bet that we're yes, having right it's now. It's easy, which is, yeah. we just count up the number of inactives Matt Breida has, and then the total number of inactives between Moss and Singletary. Now I would specify it has to be a healthy scratch. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Healthy scratch. Healthy scratches between Brita, healthy scratches, Devin Singletary and Moss. I say Brita will have more. You say Devin Singletary and Zach Moss will have more. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the dessert phase of food for thought. So hit us with the questions, the comments, the takes in the comment section. Reminder that YouTube super chats get priority. I'm going to go to the mailbag while we are waiting. Jamie sent me an email and said, after listening to your new show, he's a food for thought listener. This may be more suitable for the new show. Imagine that. But I'll let you decide. I decided it's suitable. Okay. Anyways, after the Bills have brought back the white face guard to universal acclaim, it is beautiful. Ah, and after beautiful. the Bears games, people are pounding the tables to have a full time fullback on the roster in Reggie Gilliam. What fads would you like to see brought back into American football, whether it be? positions formations kits something in the game day experience anything at all now before i get to that eb brings up a great point what if brita gets released if brita gets released i win yeah because by definition he's gonna be he's it's gonna not be more
3: it's not happening eb so I don't even worry about it can i tell you what fad i want to see can i tell you what i want to see happen yes fullback screen fullback screens baby bring them back fullback screens um outside of that I would like to see maybe one if if Brian Dable pulled this out just a quick navy wing t Mm. triple option Reggie Gilliam hand in the dirt three yards behind Josh Allen I want to see ride and decide baby ride and decide pitch off to Brita
2: (laughs) pitch up ride and decide ride and decide Ironically enough, one of the ways that we have been discussing this offseason about being able to take advantage of the edges of the defense that we were not able to do is by getting Matt Breida. Well, if you get the triple option, you're able to hold some defenders inside before the pitch. That is technically one way to utilize the speed of Matt Breida to be able to get the edge on the defense. One thing I want to see come back is something that's only been gone for a few seconds and it's taunting. I would like taunting to come back. I miss it already. Roger Goodell and the competition committee have decided to usurp me of the joy that comes from any sort of reasonable emotion in Mm. the game. I'm not saying I want to go overboard. I don't want Randy Moss fake mooning the crowd or
3: who was it was it T.O. that lifted his leg up like he was peeing on a uh, like he was a dog peeing on a fire. Was that also Randy Moss?
2: I think it might have been Randy Moss or Joe. I think Horn it might was have was the guy with the phone, right? Well, yeah, the he was on the sharpie was... and the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I understand that we don't want it to be openly abrasive. I understand. Sure. Football I football is an emotional game, and sometimes at the end of a particular play, if you, you run over someone, of energy. Uh, yes, you should. You should be able to flex
3: if you run over a grown man playing in the NFL. If you can't do
2: that. Yeah, Padden in, in, the, in the comments right now saying, why so serious? Stevie Johnson is turning over in his bed right now. Yes. He's sleeping because he goes to bed at a reasonable time on a Friday a night, reasonable like a normal adult. Yeah. And he's, his ears are burning right now going, why so serious? He's perking up and turning into a guy who will create copies of himself to rob a bank. That is I will, where Stevie Johnson's at right now.
3: Bruce, I will say this though. And I don't know if you know this about me, um, but if the bills do flash a little triple option there's going to be no more qualified person to break that film down than me a former high school triple option quarterback ride and decide baby ride and decide is uh i I actually miss saying it i i might put it in my twitter bio ride and decide but that might be very
2: suggestive i'm not sure i should do that welcome to food for thought where we ride and decide every single friday night who key it up defensive end little
3: 10 Vic. Little 12 veer, little 14 veer. What do we got, fellas? What do we got?
2: (laughs) For those of you listening in podcast form, Nate is having far too much fun (laughs) with his pantomimed handoff right now. Ryan in the comments section, had a take for us. And it was Davis's stats will exceed Emmanuel Sanders. Nathan (laughs) is still doing his pantomime (laughs) triple option handoff right now i'm staying on the midline i'm staying on the midline you know there's a lot of commonalities between triple option and mma you know staying on the midline being able to get off the line there's a lot of terminology that carries over so what do you think davis's stats will exceed sanders i think if both of them are healthy i eh, I'm i'm not willing to go there
3: it's hard to bet against emmanuel sanders i think i think for the most part people have written off emmanuel sanders we heard evan silva not write him off but talk almost at length about the age uh, and the, the the health of his in his career. We know this is a player in his mid-30s coming off of, not last year or two years ago, but coming off of a torn Achilles tendon. That's not something that we see players sort of build their careers off of. Um, you mentioned it, Bruce. This is not a knock at Drew Brees. Drew Brees is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The player that we saw Drew Brees be over the last three seasons – shell of himself um i think if emmanuel sanders has Jameis winston playing quarterback last year he's that team's number one wide receiver when michael thomas is out right i mean yeah that is the team's number one wide receiver so i think we're more than likely underselling the role that emmanuel sanders can play i'm not willing to get to gabriel davis um sort of out, out gaining or or out statisticing um uh emmanuel sanders but i think there's a good chance Maybe not a good chance. I also think maybe we're underselling Gabriel Davis just a tad here. It's hard to know, guys, but I've got to say this is a team that's probably going to have 300, 320, 350 targets to the wide receiver position. Plenty of targets to go around. Am I I being conservative at 320, 350? Maybe, Maybe. Maybe a little bit. I'm saying targets, not receptions. I'm saying targets. I might be a little conservative.
2: I mean, Stephon Stephon Diggs is going to get at least 150. That's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be funneled through him. Relieved Bigfoot says, not sure if this makes sense, but who is the least significant player who, if they get hurt, the season is over. Like, obviously, an Allen injury will end Super Bowl hopes, but who else's injury would mean no Super Bowl hopes? Okay, I'm going to say this right now. I don't think there is a single individual player on the team aside from Josh Allen, who if they get hurt, the season is over. However, I will say that when I look at players like Stefan Diggs and Tredavious White, if the two of them get hurt, you're now playing on super hard mode because winning a Super Bowl is hard mode to begin with. One of the things we need to talk about as we end up with a team that is consistently good, if the Bills were to make it, to an AFC championship game this year and somehow lose to another team, then the narrative will start to go last year. If you remember correctly, I was preparing myself for the narrative that if the bills would be one and done in the playoffs, then it's is Sean McDermott, Marvin Lewis. Now I was, I was prepared. I was totally prepared to have to combat that narrative. Thankfully they won two playoff games. I didn't have to do that, but One of the things I'm preparing myself for now is if the Bills go to the AFC Championship game and get bounced, now it is is Sean McDermott, Andy Reid with the Eagles because you know this stuff is coming. I can see these narratives coming like they are glitches in the matrix. I can literally see them. And for me, I think that we need to understand that winning a Super Bowl is really, really, really hard and is partially luck-based. Yes, it just is. a lot of it's luck-based. The best team does not always win the Super Bowl. That's just not the way it happens. So for me, when I say, okay, the season's over, uh, probably just Allen as far as that goes. Agreed, agreed. But- Seasoned
3: over, it's just Allen. But Super Bowl, Trey White. Yeah. If you lose Trey White, you're not winning a Super Bowl. You're just not. Um, is the season over? No. Josh Allen could... Put up 45 points a game, and you could win games, 40, 45, 30, something along those lines. But you lose Trey White, I think you can you can kiss your Super Bowl aspirations good goodbye.
2: I think you're right. I think that the idea that we just talked about Levi Wallace being a serviceable but upgradable number two, he's not a serviceable number one. That's the gap. That's right. That, that yeah, exists right. between Trey White. And a lot of what you don't appreciate about Trey White is what's between the ears. Some of his biggest plays came off of breaking off of his zone and making a play. The Chargers game comes immediately to mind. We've seen him. There's a reason why the Bills are very comfortable running as much cover three as they do, and that's because Tredavious White is really, really good in cover three and quarters of understanding what type of routes are developing in front of him. And mind you, what type of routes are developing behind him? Tredavious white against the chargers is a great example of him being able to recognize things that are happening behind his back. Yeah. And that is something that you absolutely cannot undersell the ability to understand where he's seen this kind of stuff before understand the depth that he needs to get to, to be able to bait a quarterback into making a throw they don't want to make, but also being able to be deep enough to be able to make a play on the ball. Nate, we did it. Another episode up, another episode down. How you feeling, dude? How would you feel about this episode? I felt pretty good. I felt good. It was good to introduce
3: Thrive Fantasy as our new sponsor for our guest hotline each and every week. So we're looking forward to telling you more about that uh, as the weeks go on. Elvin Silva crushed it. Um, I'm a big Evan Silva fan. So having him on, getting to talk a little fantasy outlook, getting to hear sort of his insights um, on the upcoming season and, and sort of what he believes Um, this bill's offense looks like, uh, you know, shame on us, papoo on us. He even sort of was trying to hint towards us. Like, Hey, you guys going to talk any defense here? You guys going to like ask me any defensive questions? And here we are just, just hogging the, the microphone talking about the offense, but listen, offense is sexy. That's the way it goes. Um, great episode, Bruce, as always enjoy hanging out with you, man, uh, on this beautiful Friday night, uh, and even better to have Evan Silva as our guest this week.
2: I think it was very fitting that we had someone in the comment section who said that we need to establish a run game right when we had Evan Silva from Establish the Run here. Love that. Lone Wolf, I really appreciate that. For those of you in the comments, listening around the world, listening to this as a podcast, the next day it drops, thank you for joining us here at Food for Thought, and we hope you didn't leave hungry.